0: Refugee and human rights lawyer, 27 years old. She took on the state as co-counsel, acting for Ahmed Zawi, a former Algerian MP who came to New Zealand in 2003 as a refugee. When he arrived, he was immediately imprisoned, stayed there for two years because our SIS had deemed him a threat to national security based on secret files, which were later found to be unreliable by my guest, Deborah Manning. In the long shadow of 9-11, the case was pretty polarising. And after four and a half long years and three successful court appeals, Ahmed Zawi was allowed to stay in New Zealand. The SIS withdrew its security threat certificates. And, of course, if you were here in New Zealand at the time, you'll know his name. The case was highly publicised, attracted the attention of the arts community, some of whom performed in prison. Poets wrote in support of Zawi. And so, for bookmarks today, Deborah Manning joins us to look back at some of the things she was reading and listening to at the time. Hi there, Deborah. Mm, kia ora. We better talk about Regina Spektor first. How'd you choose that one?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was just saying that I actually had a journalist who would send me CDs of music to listen to, as I um, I, I spent a lot of time on my own in a um, a piece of slum housing actually in Eden Terrace, and so Regina Spektor was. Um, on that CD, So hmm. I, I listened to that song a lot.
0: So it takes you back to that time. It
1: certainly does, yeah.
0: What's the latest on Ahmed? What have we heard today? Well, overnight, really?
1: Yeah, well, yesterday morning my phone didn't stop ringing. Um, and that was because Ahmed uh, had been taken uh, by gunpoint um, from his home in Medea uh, by eight members of the security forces in Bataclavas uh, with assault rifles at the door. Um, saying that they were on orders from the capital in Algiers to take him in for interrogation. Uh, So he was taken. He's sitting in um, the police station jail. Um, And, yeah, it's a precarious and shocking situation.
0: Some people will be asking, why is he back there? Why isn't he here in safe New Zealand? Yes, I
1: know my mother was certainly asking me that. (laughs) Um, Well, look, the reality is Mr Zowie um, came here as a refugee to seek protection when he needed it. Uh, But he is Algerian through and through, and his family are there, and um, the situation was settling. And so he went back there a few years ago and was sort of there during the COVID years. He was planning to be between the two countries because he does also call New Zealand home. Um, And so he was there and he was speaking about the political situation from a human rights perspective, encouraging the parties because it's becoming really politically divided. There's huge corruption. There's huge poverty. It's in crisis, really. And he was calling for unity and for peace. Um, And because of that, he's um, landed himself in a jail cell.
0: The model, the refugee model you imagine, is people come here, we make them feel safe, they start a new life in New Zealand. But in fact, there is another alternative, which is that we give them safety when they need it, and then they return to their homeland. Their That's original precisely homeland. right, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, how worried are you?
1: If I'm honest, I'm deeply worried, um, but I am just in that lawyer mode of um, needing to focus on what I need to do um, as his lawyer um, right now to provide him um, and his family uh, the support that they need and to be thinking about the avenues that need to be taken. So I'm in lawyer mode.
0: Why is he being targeted
1: Uh, It's amidst a a wider crackdown. Journalists are being taken. Um, Anyone speaking out and will seem to be speaking out criticising the regime. It's a very delicate time in Algeria. There's big tensions with its neighbouring country, um, Morocco. There's tensions over, um, you know, deals with the EU, over um, oil prices, given what's happening with the war in Ukraine. You know, there's just, there's a lot going on there. And so there's just been this worsening crackdown. Um, And so this, appears to be part of that
0: and concepts like the rule of law and fair trial and presumed innocent are they part of the Algerian system
1: no unfortunately um, Algeria is not known for its human rights record um, and unfortunately the rule of law um, really struggles in Algeria
0: mm. is there anything you can do
1: oh there's always things you can do um, and so we're in a day by day situation at the moment and um, I'm interested to see what happens over the next day Um, and, you know, if he's not released soon, then um, uh, I will need to be uh, escalating my efforts um, about uh, what to do uh, from legal perspectives and, um, you know, there's UN mechanisms that can be involved and so on. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens and what happens overnight.
0: Lawyer Deborah Manning is with me to talk about a few of her favourite things, particularly some of the um, books and, and music and memories she associates with her time acting for Ahmed Zawi. If you've got a question about that case, um, text it through. I'm sure Deborah will answer it if she can. Someone wants to know um, how you are paid for your involvement in a case like this, Deborah. I hope that's not a personal question. No,
1: that's fine. Um, well, back. When he was seeking refugee status and fighting the national security risk certificate that was um, legal aid um, and uh, these days it's pro bono services
0: okay um, you haven't talked about this case much
1: no i I haven't talked about the zawi case much at all um, and in fact it's only sort of been in the last year that I've started to do so and um, we'll talk about um, one of the projects I was involved with but um yeah, it was very difficult to talk about. It was painful to talk about. I kind of wanted to move on. I wanted to do other things. Uh, but as time has gone on, I have realised more and more the significance of the case um, in the legal system, in the context of New Zealand history, and also for me. Um, there was a There's a producer called Ahmed Osman for Homegrown Pictures who was, um, uh, has got some funding to develop um, a dramatised um, version of the Zawi case um, and he was very persistent at trying to get me to agree to it, I was very reluctant um, but through that process um, I actually started opening up the files um, and yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten a lot of what had gone on and it was it was extraordinary what went into that case, the support that New Zealanders gave to Ahmed the um, controversy, it was a real lightning rod case, you know there were it was a big fight, you know. It wasn't guaranteed how that case was going to end. Because was, you were against who? We were against the security services. We were against the government of the day. We were against the prime minister. And we were against overseas security services, <laughs> the French, the Algerian, <laughs> the Belgian, incredible. the UK, the Swiss security services. Some of
0: whom had provided the documentation that SIS were relying on.
1: They had all provided that documentation. But as it turned out, they were all relying on contaminated um intelligence information from the Algerians. So, and it was, you know, it was all happening in the aftermath of September 11. Um, And so, you know, people were not thinking clearly. There was hysteria going on. There was hysteria against Islam going on. New Zealand's moved on a long way since then. And I like to think that uh, Ahmed Zawi helped explain Islam to New Zealand. Um, Mm. Yeah. And he also showed... um, uh, uh, he lived with Catholic priests for three years, you know. So it was a it was an interfaith case as well. You know, we spent so much time around the country having interfaith dialogue and conversations. And um, was I think
0: that, was that your choice putting him there?
1: Uh, well, he would be invited, and he would respond to invitations. And it was clear that people wanted to know who Mr. Zowie was, and um, he was happy to share his knowledge and his information. Um, we were lucky to, to have him. You know, he's considered to be a scholar in Islam. Um, he's a, an, an imam, and uh, he had a lot to share with us.
0: Did you feel the weight <laughs> of the significance of the case? You were in your 20s, right?
1: I, I was. I was 27 when it started. Um, yes, I did feel the weight of this case. That, that is, that's true, Yes.
0: And your contribution was recognised publicly, but also privately. Um, you got a letter after the case had been concluded. Who was it from?
1: Yes, I did. I And I I came across this letter last year, um, and it was from somebody who I admire greatly. And in my legal studies, I admired him. And in fact, the whole law school loves Justice Ted Thomas, um, Supreme Court um, Judge Thomas, who was famous for many um, remarkable judgments, and he very generously wrote to me after the case um, to acknowledge what had been done and to tell me that I probably wouldn't realise what had been done until much later. Mm. Um, and he was right. And so, you know, this is an overdue thank you to Justice Ted Thomas, which I and I have reached out to thank him. Um
0: it, you're playing it down a little i've read the letter i mean i've got you could read just about any part of it um he says to you this is a private letter to you he says no history of the profession or commentary on the operation of the law in this country will ever be complete without reference to your name mm-hmm. and, and to your fight for the rights of Ahmed Zawi." that's very powerful language
1: yeah it was a very generous of him um And it means a lot to me, and it makes me think about what are my responsibilities in talking about the case now to law students, to other lawyers, to the profession, to remind us all what the legal profession can do to achieve justice. Because lawyers, we have such privilege and such ability to do justice. Um, And, yeah, yeah, if there's one message I would really like to share... It's to have people thinking and all lawyers and all judges thinking and talking about being courageous and caring about justice. And that I think we all expect lawyers to be courageous and caring about justice. And so, yeah, I just would encourage anybody who knows a lawyer to be asking them, what do they think about justice? How are they courageous?
0: Were you an accidental lawyer? <laughs>
1: I yeah I still am an accidental lawyer <laughs> yeah I'm coming up 25 years and every year I think you know this might be the last. Um, it's not my natural home actually being a lawyer, um, but I continue being a lawyer because of the ability to assist
0: mm. Because I think you were training as a nurse.
1: I was accepted into nursing school. Yeah, which yeah. will
0: tell people something about what you want to do with your life and with your mm. purpose. Um, we better get to some of your bookmarks, Picks. The, the Little Prince.
1: Yeah, The Little Prince. So I've, I've, I've provided a selection of books and music that helped me and Ahmed along the way uh, in those five years we um journeyed together. And The Little Prince is a book that I took into him. It was the first thing I took into him when he was in solitary confinement because he had no books, he had no pen, he had no paper and um, his English was limited. Mm. And it's a book that was always dear to me because of its its themes of friendship and um, what's important in life. And I, I took it to him and um, he would use his time um, in solitary to translate it into Arabic.
0: Gosh, mm. interesting project. Mm. And he was writing himself while he was in prison.
1: Yeah, so poetry really helped Ahmed in those days. Um, writing helped him. In fact, before I came on board, he had a pen, and he was writing on the underside of the mattress um, because he wasn't given any paper, and they found out, um, and he um, was severely reprimanded, and he was he was just writing poetry, actually. Um yeah, he he. As well as being a politician, he is, he is a poet actually and a philosopher. So, there was this project that he um, yeah, undertook when he was in there to write um, a book of poems.
0: I've got that book of poems in front of me. It's a beautiful book. Is it still widely available?
1: Unfortunately, no. It's um, Craig Potton Publishers, and I I would love for there to be another print run. Yeah. Um, it's the first book published in New Zealand that's um, in Arabic and English. Um, and the forwards by Bill Manhire, and um, yeah,
0: introduction by Bill Manhire, forward yeah. by you. Uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a big part of bringing these this writing of Ahmed's to a wider audience.
1: Yeah, well, I ended up needing to see Ahmed nearly every day he was in prison, Um we needed to do that for the case and also for his morale. It's a a very difficult experience being in prison without charge because most prisoners have an end date. You know, they're counting down to when they're going to get parole or sentence. He didn't have that. And he ended up being in uh, prison without charge for two years. But there were points before he was released where the Crown was saying it could have been nine years. So, you know, he was in an unknown territory of how long he was going to be there. And that really does something to the psyche. Um, So... I, I used to come in and spend time with him and, and, and discuss what he was writing and help him with the words and help him with what he was doing. It helped us both. We're
0: hmm. going to play a song now and we'll come back to your books in a moment. Um, oh, by the way, that's called Migrant Birds, the uh, collection of contemplations by Ahmed Zawi, if you can find it. We're going to play a Dave Dobbin's song. I love this song, even without the context. But can you tell me um, about yeah. where Dave Dobbin fits into the story?
1: So... Dave was amazing during Ahmed's case and um, so he had the song Welcome Home and he made a video and Ahmed Zawi was in the video with the priests that Ahmed was bailed to live with at the Priory and actually um, there were music awards uh, in 2005 and we got a variation from the High Court for Mr Zawi to attend those music awards and he helped actually perform the song with Dave Dobbin, Mm -hmm. he came out on stage to perform it, yeah.
0: And you still find the song moving?
1: I do. And I'm, I'm just so grateful um, to uh, Dave Dobbin and all the musicians who helped.
0: Dave Dobbin and Welcome Home. National Anthem by Dave Dobbin. Welcome home. Deborah Manning, lawyer for Ahmed Zawi, is in with me for bookmarks, talking about a few of her favourite things and memories of that time. Someone's asking me about the documents that were used um, as evidence against Ahmed. Can you tell me about those and how you, and we might need the shorter version of this, but (laughs) how you managed to work out that they had been, was falsified too strong, corrupted?
1: Contaminated.
0: Contaminated.
1: How they well
0: coming a little close to the mic? uh,
1: How they were content? Well, that's a big story. How did I find out? I suppose we had a key witness that we located in the case called Colonel Samraoui, who um, was operating in Europe at that time for the Algerian intelligence services, and he defected, and he wrote a book. And um, we contacted him, and he agreed to come to New Zealand. And he said, I know that the intelligence information against Mr. Zowie in the Western intelligences was contaminated, and I know because I did it.
0: <laughs> so. Gosh. But then didn't wasn't there a trip to Paris?
1: There was a trip to Paris, yes. So when th- we were in the thick of the case um, – we were basically trying to fight a secret case against us. And there was a similar case in Canada, an Algerian case, which is still going on to this day. And I didn't want to be in this kind of trench warfare of trying to fight the state to uh, beg them to give us scraps of information. So I decided, well, if you won't tell us, I'm going to tell you everything, and I'm going to build Ahmed's life from scratch, Um, and then you have to respond to us rather than us trying to respond to you. And so I went about constructing his life and um, visited the countries he had lived in and managed in various ways to get access to the court files. And so that involved a trip to the Palais de Justice, um, to the archive section. Um, and there were m- many um, adventures that we had there. Um, <laughs> and uh, we managed to get. Uh, the file dumped on us um, boxes and boxes, and we um, and, yeah I had met Robson there with me, who was um, a member of Parliament at the time. Um, and we copied the documents as fast and furiously as we could and um, found out that we actually had intelligence information from the French sitting on the files that they had not given to the New Zealand security services but the security services had relied upon. And so we were able to look at those original intelligence reports and we were able to deconstruct them with our experts to show that they have been contaminated by the Algerians.
0: And you had a little window with that photocopier too, right?
1: Yeah, we did. Um, So we only had a few days to get the information and there was a magistrate we needed to get to sign the papers. Her name was Madame Blondette and she was refusing (laughs) to um, communicate with us and I was sort of going day after day. And um, then her secretary came out and whispered to us, she's not going to give it to you. She thinks he's a terrorist. And that was a feature of the case that bureaucrats would often whisper things to me down the phone and so on. And so then I knew that I had to stop knocking on Madame Blondette's door And I and this official gave me a piece of paper with a room number on it, which meant that I uh, wandered through the court. I wandered through doors and I would always just pretend I was a dumb New Zealander and say, oh, sorry, sorry, pardon moi, pardon moi. And then I managed to get into another magistrate who turns out hated Madame Blondette. And for no reasons other than animosity towards her, she signed the papers
2: (laughs) to allow us to
1: get the archives. And then but we had to run down to get that the the. We had to run to get the papers lodged by 4.30 so that the van could leave to bring it to us the next morning. And the archive section knew we were trying to do this. And this is true. The head of the archive section was a, a, a Parisian called Pierre. And they, they knew that we were running. And when they heard that we'd got it, they cheered because they were they were, they were actually on our side. And then they were helping us get the papers in and, and um, photocopy it all and get it all done because we were on a Friday 5 p.m. deadline. Huh.
0: I mean, so you're fighting hard for justice here, but you're also relying on the mercies and and good deeds of people doing the right thing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the paradoxes of the Zawi case is that there were many terrible things that happened. And, you know, we're seeing terrible things happen now with the regime, but there were also many, many moments of people doing extraordinary things and um, acts of kindness and generosity and whispering tips down the phone and things like that. Yeah. Mm.
0: Um, The Trial by Franz Kafka.
1: <laughs> so this might seem a bit cliche, but it is true. Um, This book really helped me during um, the Zowie case. So we were two years or well, three years in, and we were due to have the big hearing um, about the classified information. And we'd been fighting, you know, for years about getting t- to hearing. Um, And then on the eve of... Uh, the hearing the security services found two hundred and twenty new documents that they hadn't disclosed. Um which meant that the hearing had to be abandoned, which I knew meant years more of um my life being in limbo and Ahmed's life being in limbo. And um I'll be honest I was pretty um broken by that. Um and it was a morning and I actually I couldn't stop crying to be honest. And um
0: Not very loyally.
1: Eh? Uh, no, not very loyally, uh, and what, Although someone who had clerked for me commented years after that there was a tissue box in every room. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> um,
1: so, I mean, I yeah. Y- anyway, um, and so in an effort to try and get me to be okay, someone handed me a copy of this, uh, the trial um, half in jest, and so I opened it and started reading, yeah. and I instantly became still because what I was reading absolutely mirrored what we were experiencing and it made the world – the world made sense reading it. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, so thank you, Kafka. Thank you, The Trial, because it, it helped me get through the next few years.
0: What do people mean when they describe something as Kafkaesque?
1: It means that people have been taken without explanation. That it's, there's no rhyme or reason and people are trying to fight a bureaucracy that doesn't make sense. Mm. And they're encountering people and bureaucrats who always pretend as though the bureaucracy makes sense. Mm. Yeah,
0: love that. Good on the spot definition, by the way. Mm. And then you came across another classic, Ernest Hemingway's *The Old Man and the Sea*. <laughs> but but this one didn't click as much with you.
1: No, this was again um, several years, and and I I thought we were going to lose the case for most of the case um, that we were not going to be successful in protecting Mr. Zowie. And that meant, you know, the, the terrible consequences for him. And as you mentioned, it I, I was a burden and it was really hard work and it was exhausting, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and someone mentioned to me that it, I should think about uh, The Old Man and the Sea by Hemingway. And um, I don't particularly like Hemingway um, and I didn't know The Old Man and the Sea. So I thought, well, I, I'll go and read it. And again, um, I still don't like the book, but it really helped me because it um, – the, the book basically is about a, an old man trying to bring – he catches like the fish of a lifetime and he's trying mm-hmm. to bring it back to shore. But in the trials and tribulations of trying to do so, he's going to basically bring a carcass back. And so some could say, well, it's futile. But for him, there was honor and dignity in being able to bring it back to shore. Mm. And so, for me, I knew that I I had to keep going, even though I thought we would lose. And I had to believe in the process, and I had to um, believe in the dignity of continuing to try, even though you you know thought you were going to fail.
0: Can you recall the moment when you found out that you hadn't failed?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, there were a few moments along the way. Um, Uh, it all happened very quickly, actually, at at the end. Um, And, yeah, I mean, there's different points I could uh, choose about when I knew. There was a a – I don't actually quite know which one to to tell. Um, There there was – the Director of Security agreed to participate in a process. And, in fact, I could tell you what the story was because it happened in um, a bathroom. And it was um, at the security risk certificate review. And um, we had just sort of presented all of this information. And um, I just said to counsel on the other side, I don't expect you to say anything, but please carry the message that um, if the director is willing to listen, we're, we're willing to, to talk and we're willing to find a way um, through this so that um, everybody can come out with their head high. Mm. Mm. Yep.
0: Big moment.
1: Yep. And I just knew in my bones that that was a turning point. Mm. Mm. I remember sitting down afterwards thinking, I think this is going to work.
0: Mm. We talked about the financial cost. Um, you were working pro bono these days on this case, but um, legal aid as well at the time. What was? Have you thought about what the personal cost was for you?
1: Well, I, I once heard my mother describe it to somebody that the family lost me for five years. And that's how my family see it. Um, and it, it's one of those situations where I remember talking to my co-counsel, Richard MacLeod, who is an extraordinary lawyer and... Um, I was so fortunate to work with him and um, Rodney Harrison, QC. Um, We described it as, at the beginning, we were like uh, on a boat that had left shore and we had kept wanting to return to shore. And then we realised as time went by we were never returning to that shore. Our lives had changed forever. Mm. Um, And... It was a period, I can say, for me, of um, a paradox again. uh, You know, it was a very high-profile case, but it was also a time of intense isolation, um, of having to just watch every single word and every single detail. And, um, yeah, I I did actually step out of life. I I told people I'm, I'm out of social circulation. If I turn up to things, I will, but don't expect me to and mm. so when I did turn up to things people would actually look at me as though I was a ghost because I I just I wasn't present yeah but it was what was needed to be done um, and uh, we must do what we must do
0: and you came across a TED talk called how to make stress your friend
1: yeah this really helped make sense of the first year of the case this is a podcast um, that I only recently found out about um, it's it, it, basically the premise of the TED Talk, and I really encourage listeners to, to give it a listen. Um, It's that the concept, and, and this is not telling people to not look after their well-being and so on, but inevitably we will find stress in our lives and sometimes extreme stress. And our bodies react to stress. That's what adrenaline is, is for and so on. And it's better to just trust ourselves and trust our... Um, of our physiology, um, in that moment and to channel it. And what the studies have shown is that when we're in a stressful situation and we are not fighting the stress and we're understanding what the situation is, our physiology, and I'm not a neuroscience, I can't explain it, it channels the same conditions as courage and joy. Hmm. And in that first year of the case, um, my co-counsellor and I, we realised that we were going to hit a brick wall at every point. We, um, we found out, you know, we were stoics. We just always expected a no or a brick wall. Um, but we also learned um, what courage was and hope. And in fact, um, I was given those as two books by my co-counsellor in the first year: courage and hope. And so, extreme stress. If we, if we just engage with it, and we. Um, are courageous um our, our bodies and physics will help us get through
0: ted talk is called how to make stress your friend we've run out of time to talk about the 2021 podcast but i'll give it a plug it's called enemy of the state the Ahmed zawi file by john care uh, that's got further um conversation with deborah about her part in the case i'm really sorry about the 24 hours you've had <laughs> and how you're feeling about it i know how worried you are um and so we wish you all the best, and we hope um, we hope for good news. And thanks so much for talking to us today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Deborah Manning was the uh, lawyer, or is the lawyer for Ahmed Zawi. Uh, there's some news on him today that he's been detained in Algeria, having been arrested for making political comments. Of course, our news team will keep you up to date with developments there.